as we start to wade into our passage this morning, I want, I want you to think about someone that you really respect or someone you admire. What is it that you respect or appreciate about, about this specific person? Maybe the person you are thinking of has done something for you that has had an enormous influence in your life in a positive way. Maybe he or she has rescued you out of a difficult situation, or maybe this person spoke a word of encouragement to you in one of the most difficult moments of your life. Maybe this person has a skill set that you admire. Perhaps the person is a, a great writer or teacher or singer or athlete. I mean, I remember as a kid spending countless hours in my backyard copying the hitting stances of great major league hitters. Perhaps there's a particular character trait that the person you respect possesses like self-sacrifice or discipline or hard work, honesty or commitment to excellence or uncompromising integrity. And it causes you to want to emulate this very same characteristic. Maybe the person is strong in an area of life where you struggle. And this person inspires you or perhaps has served as a role model for you. Someone you can aspire to be like, at least in this specific area. Sometimes the people we admire and respect are famous precisely because they are so good at what they do. And sometimes the people aren't famous at all. Maybe they're a family member or a neighbor or a small town hero. Maybe it's someone you just met once. Now, how would you feel if you found out that this person also respected you. How would you feel if you had done something that, that this person was excited about, something that caused them to look at you and just smile? Or how would you feel if this person acted dismissively towards you if you, you finally had the opportunity to meet him or to meet her. If it's a person you know well, how would you feel if this person told you that they were disappointed in you? Our passage this morning is about someone who is not just well-respected, but utterly revered. Our passage is about someone who is not just well-known, but in fact, worshipped. Our passage is about someone who is more than a perfect role model, whose character is more than just impressive, whose influence on us is more than we can fathom. Our passage is about someone who knows and understands us better than we know and understand ourselves. 
our passage is about someone who has done, is doing, and will do more for us in our lives than we can possibly ever imagine. And our passage is about us, either pleasing or grieving this person. Our passage is Ephesians 4.30. Hear then the word of Almighty God. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Lead us, Spirit of the living God, please lead us. I ask in Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit is awesome. The Holy Spirit is so awesome in the purest sense of the word that our passage has the potential to free us or to frighten us. Our passage has the potential to to delight us or to demoralize us. Our passage has the potential to cause us to revel in worship or to wallow in regret. But brothers and sisters, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The main idea we need to press into can be summarized like this. Because of the worth and work of the Holy Spirit, we should seek to please him, not grieve him. Because of the greatness of the glory of who this Holy Spirit actually is, and because of what the Holy Spirit has done, is doing, and will do, we should seek to please him and not grieve him. Said more tightly, because of the worth and work of the Holy Spirit, we should seek to please him and not grieve him. So in the first place, our passage is a strong warning against sin. The sins that Paul has been specifically addressing in this section here in Ephesians 4. In the immediate context of the flow of our chapter, Paul warned us that we should put away falsehood falsehood and speak the truth with our neighbor. He said we should be angry and not. Sin, so that we would not provide an opportunity for the devil to wreak havoc in our lives. Chapter 4 and verse 27. We should not steal, but do honest work so that we may have something to share with others. And let me take a moment to pause here and commend you to the highest degree, River Oaks. Because despite the economic uncertainty of these times. The past several weeks have been the, some of the highest 
consecutive giving weeks in the history of our church. And so I commend you and I praise God for your, for your gospel-grounded and, and spirit-led generosity that has reflected in the most beautiful way the abundant generosity of our ever-giving God. Now, Paul continues to warn us here not, not to let any putrid or decaying talk come out of our mouths. And earlier he said that we should not sin so that we wouldn't give the devil a place in our lives. Now he says not to sin so that we would not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And my hope is that this message amplifies why that is such a big deal. This is the Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. So then within the message of Ephesians, the reason we should not sin is because we don't want to grieve or cause heartbreak to the Holy Spirit of God who has sealed us for the glorious day of redemption. Now, what is so great about that phrase is that that means that I don't have to point us back to chapter 1, to the truths from earlier in the book that fuel the imperative that Paul is giving us here now in chapter 4. And I don't have to because Paul is doing it here for us. Paul mentions two things specifically. First, that the one we should not grieve is the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, he tells us precisely who he is. Second, he tells us what he has done, namely, in context, sealed us for the day of redemption. And these truths are specifically drawn from chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14. In him, that is in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Truths that we just sang about with all of our might. Or to put it another way, because the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God himself, and because the Holy Spirit is the one who was promised to the people of God through the new covenant, and because the Holy Spirit has sealed us when we believed in Jesus, and because we are sealed by God for the day of redemption, and because that is the day when we will receive glorified, resurrected bodies so that we can worship our glorious Lord with perfected body and perfected soul forever, because of these realities, don't cause the Holy Spirit to endure great distress because of your sin. Because when you do, you are acting like, like none of these things are even true. But brothers and sisters, please don't forget. Don't ever forget 
that every, every one of these blood-bought promises, these blood-bought realities are in fact true for every single one of us who names the name of Christ. This frustratingly futile world, this Ecclesiastes Hevel world is passing away and Jesus is making all things new. So do you see, and this is absolutely crucial, do you see that these truths are the spiritual roots from which the fruit of holy obedience flows so that we would not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Rather, we would bring him joy. One of the reasons why we can have joy, one of the reasons why there is Freedom in the presence of the Holy Spirit is because Jesus has already borne the grief that we caused the Father and the Spirit when he bore our lying, flattering tongues, our glory-stealing hearts, our contaminating words, and our devil-inviting sins on Calvary's cross. Jesus already bore our old selves from our former manner of life, which was corrupt through deceitful desires, so that we could put on our new selves, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. So, because all of these things are true, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Or, because of the worth and work of the Holy Spirit, seek to please him and not grieve him. This is the, this is the ex- essence of the exhortation that Paul is giving us here in Ephesians 4.30. Now, since we've talked about multiple examples of what these particular sins look like in Ephesians 4 over the past several weeks... What I want to do now is to double-click on the worth and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because I firmly believe that the more clearly we understand how glorious, how incomparably glorious the Holy Spirit is, and the more fully we understand the beauty, the absolute beauty and the power, the immeasurable power of his ministry. The more we understand that, the more we believe that, the more we trust in that, the more insane sin will become to us. Now we've looked at the essence of the what grieves the Holy Spirit within Ephesians. So let's, let's broaden out now biblically so that we can really get at what grieves and pleases the Holy Spirit and why. 
with, with respect to the worth of the Holy Spirit. Two realities taken together cause our hearts to sing for joy. The Holy Spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit is God. Ephesians 4.30 is one of the clearest examples of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit himself can be grieved, then he is capable of experiencing realities as an individual with self-awareness, with self-consciousness, distinct from any other person, even distinct from the Father and the Son. Further, the scriptures teach the Holy Spirit can be lied to, Acts 5.3. The Holy Spirit speaks as he did very directly to Philip, Acts 8.29. The Holy Spirit teaches, Acts 14.26. He testifies, John 15.26. He convicts, John 16.8. The Holy Spirit declares what he hears, John 16.13. And he glorifies Jesus, John 16.14. He gives gifts to the people of God, 1 Corinthians 12. He has a mind. And his mind searches the deep things of the mind of God himself. 1 Corinthians 2.10. And the Holy Spirit personally intercedes in prayer for us along with the Son to the Father. Romans 8.27. Not to put it too simply, but these are all actions taken by a person. And the Holy Spirit is God, equal with the Father and the Son, and equally worthy of our highest praise. He is the third member of the tri-personal trinity. In various places throughout the scriptures, defining characteristics reserved for God himself, like eternality or omniscience or, or holiness, are all directly attributed to him. In our passage, he is specifically referred to as the Holy Spirit of God. In the opening few verses of Genesis, the Holy Spirit was was hovering above the waters before light was created. In the closing words of Revelation, the Holy Spirit is actively working with the church, inviting, inviting people to experience the water of new life without price. In Acts 5, 
verses 1 through 5, when Peter confronts Ananias about keeping back some of the money that he received from selling a piece of property, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. At the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul Paul blesses the saints with these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Matthew 3, 16 and 17, when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, while the Father just thunders his approval from heaven. Three distinct persons, one incomparably glorious God. In Mark 3, 28 through 29, Jesus calls sin against the Holy Spirit not just wrong, not just offensive, but actual blasphemy. And he made this utterly arresting statement. Truly I say to you, All sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. In Matthew 28.10 Jesus commands his followers to baptize disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Clearly, Jesus believed that the Holy Spirit was in fact God. Now, as we consider the the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Listen to one of the the early church fathers, St. Basil the Great. That's got to be one of the all-time great names. But he is in absolute awe of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, What does the Spirit do? His works are ineffable in majesty. (laughs) The the, the irony there is that the word ineffable ineffable basically means incapable of being described. But he's going to try. His works are ineffable in majesty and innumerable in quantity. How can we even ponder what extends beyond the ages? What did he do before creation began? How great are the graces he showered on creation? What power will he wield in the ages to come? 
He existed. He pre-existed. He coexisted with the Father and the Son before the ages. If you can imagine anything before the ages, you will discover that the Spirit is even further beyond. In the opening chapter of Genesis, when the Spirit is hovering over the waters... So in effect, he's about, he's about to begin his earthly ministry of specific or particular creation. And eventually his ministry of recreation. Imagine, imagine what that would have been like for him. Hovering, waiting, anticipating. I picture an athlete before a championship game waiting in the tunnel, focusing in his energy so he can't wait to explode onto the floor. Or I think of, I think of a little calf released from the stall who just bursts forth with excitement or a, or a thoroughbred exploding out of the gate the moment the gate is raised. This won't be a shock to you, but this morning... I had tears literally streaming down my face as I thought about how much joy the Holy Spirit has in creation and in recreation as he makes us new. Earlier on in the history of the people of God in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit fills men with creative skill to mirror his incomparable creativity. The Lord said to Moses, I have filled Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. Do you realize that if you are filled with the Spirit of God, as was Bezalel, then no matter what you do for a living, no matter if you work at home, no matter if you work at a company, small company, big company, white collar, blue collar, no collar, if you are filled with the Spirit of God, then you are doing God's work, work that glorifies him. And the Spirit of God also filled people with the power to, to fight back evil and to lead the people of God toward righteousness. He filled judges like Othniel, Gideon, and Jephthah. And most frequently and most, most dramatically, he filled Samson. Samson is filled with the Holy Spirit, when he's attacked by a lion and he kills it with his bare hands. And Samson is filled with the Holy Spirit as he destroys the enemy of God and the enemies of God's people. The Spirit fills Saul early on and then he fills David, his successor, a man after God's own heart. But according to the prophet Isaiah, 
The Holy Spirit is grieved by Israel's rebellion, Isaiah 63.10, which is the exact text that Paul is referencing here in Ephesians 4.30. Now, I think this reference in Isaiah 63.10 in the Old Testament provides a key to understanding why the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament seems intermittent, much more in the background than it is in the New Testament. I think this is the reason. In the Old Testament, there were none righteous. No, not one. So perhaps like the morning sun, just before daybreak, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the people of God as he had once hovered over the waters, waiting with anticipation, at times grieving and pulled back, but waiting for a man to be born, one righteous man whom he could fill with himself and rest upon forever. And then, like the breaking of the dawn, the sun of righteousness appears. From the moment, from the moment this man is conceived, the Holy Spirit is with him. Luke 1.35. The Spirit descends upon this man at his baptism. Luke 3.22. And the Spirit immediately leads him into battle against Satan. Luke 4.1. And so at the first direct showdown in the wilderness, Satan assaults this man with all his strength. The lone, fully righteous man who has ever lived. Because if he takes him out, salvation is impossible. And this man, the king of glory, the man, Christ Jesus, clothed in weakness in the wilderness, thirsty, exhausted, hungry, emerges back from the wilderness, victorious over Satan. The Spirit anoints him. That is, he anoints Jesus to open the eyes of the blind, to heal the sick, and to proclaim freedom for the captives. As one man has said, the Holy Spirit is the finger of God by whom Jesus casts out demons. Luke 11, 20. Jesus then finishes what Samson started by triumphing over God's enemies and putting Satan to open shame through the cross. The writer of Hebrews tells us that it was through the Holy Spirit that Jesus offered himself unblemished to God. Hebrews 9, 14. Then three days later, because the grave had no claim on him, Paul tells us the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 8, 11. 
After Jesus ascends to heaven, the Spirit is then sent to earth by the Father and the Son to bless and empower every person who is united to and clothed in the righteousness of this one righteous man. The Spirit then recreates these individual people by breathing new spiritual life into them, John 3, 5, causing them to be born again. They become new creations through his life-giving ministry, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. He then comes to live within these new creations, thereby causing each of their individual bodies to serve as a temple for the living God, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. The Spirit continues to gather people from different places and backgrounds and begins to build a dwelling place for God, Ephesians 2, 20 and 21. With each one of these new creations, these individuals serving as a stone in the larger temple of God with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. The Spirit, I love the phrase that Michael Reeves uses in delighting in the Trinity. The Spirit beautifies, beautifies this people by convicting them of sin and leading them into all truth and righteousness. John 16, 13. He gives, that is the Spirit gives gifts to each person for the common good of all. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. The Spirit unifies this people, Ephesians 4, 3, by cultivating in them love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These fruits are evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence among God's people. And his presence in them and among them serves as the the signet ring that is the seal of God's approval, guaranteeing their eternal inheritance forever. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. So, Because of the greatness of the glory of who the Holy Spirit actually is. And because of what the Holy Spirit has done, is doing, and will do. Imagine what sin looks like among God's people from his perspective. with everything the Father is doing, with everything that the Son has accomplished, with everything that the Holy Spirit is doing, sin is nothing short of moral insanity. So what grieves the Holy Spirit of God? Choosing sin in any form, which in essence is acting as if what the Father has planned for you and what the Son has accomplished for you and what the Spirit guarantees for you, that it doesn't matter to you. The way that we do this is specifically by committing sins among God's people detailed here in chapter 4 of Ephesians. 
and in a million other ways. But what pleases the Holy Spirit? Brothers and sisters, it, it pleases the Holy Spirit when we act in ways that reflect our trust in the Father, our obedience that demonstrates our love for the Son, and a humble and earnest desire to be led by the Spirit himself so that we might keep in step with him. Because of the priceless worth of the Holy Spirit, and because of the glorious work of the Holy Spirit. May the Spirit grow in us a desire to please him and not to grieve him from this day forward to the praise of his glorious grace. Would you pray with me? Father, you know that I was barely able to scratch the surface of the majesty of the Holy Spirit and the incredible work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, it is... It is a stunning thing to us that you and your son love the Holy Spirit and that he loves you. And what blows our mind is that because of our union with Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we now can love you and are loved by you. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the gifts of your Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your love. Father, the declaration of our hearts is that we love you. We are overwhelmed by the reality as we think, how great is our God. May you be glorified now in Jesus' name, amen.